Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. We are starting a, a new Advent series just through this month until um, Christmas, um, looking at how heaven has met earth through Christ, um, the Advent season. I, I feel like I was joking with uh, Joe Bohr earlier, uh, a friend of mine posted a, a post on, on, I think, Twitter or something, and uh, he basically said, you know, the traditional church, the the higher church, they celebrate the seasons really well. They do Advent, they do Lent, they do the Easter season, they do the Pentecost season. They really focus and teach these seasons really well. And in the evangelical church, we typically have two seasons, election season and VBS. Um, that's terrible. <laughs> it's a joke. And so you guys aren't laughing because you're like, you didn't grow up in an evangelical church, I guess. So, or you did grow up in an evangelical church and you don't know any other way of life. So anyway, I just offended everybody this morning. Let's good start. We're going. Um, but the, I think it's important for us as a church to realize what this season means, like how everything is shaped by this season, but not just like the story, the the, the nativity story that we think of for like one or two days and we sing some songs, but like how has heaven met earth in a different, in, in a multiple ways? Like heaven has, this, this Christmas season, the coming of Christ in the flesh, God with us has changed everything the way we think of things, right? The way we do life, uh, the way mankind has attempted to do life. And, and I, I hope that in these next couple of weeks, as we kind of track through the, the nativity story that we know, we'll look at it from a fresh perspective and see how everything shifted for us. Um, this morning, I, w- I want to start off by telling you a story. For, for me growing up, I grew up in a um, pretty cr- a Christian home I'm very thankful for. But in my Christian home, we were kind of these non-denominational, charismatic background um, church, which is similar by title to what we are, but there was a really high form of legalism. So like you got to God by doing these things, right? Um, and you don't have to grow up in that church to hear that. I think that is the predominant view. But, but for me, I, I'm, when you look at personality types, I'm, I'm like a rule keeper. Uh, I like rules. I like people to be happy with me. I need approval. I thrive off of approval. Um, so everybody look at me and give me a thumbs up this morning. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, like that, uh, that's something that I, there's this deep need for, for in me. And I, I need, what people think of me mattered way too much through my childhood. And sometimes still too much today as well, okay? As you, guys, you guys understand that? Um, and there's a couple of different stories that I could tell you to kind of give you an example of this. But we just came out of the Halloween time of year, right? Which me as a Christian growing up in a really legalistic church, that was Satan's holiday. And uh, we just didn't do any of that. And, and I still kind of feel the same way, just being honest. But anyway, no judgment on you. What I'm saying this morning is like during that time, I remember being a third grader at, at a private school. And my mom worked there in a different classroom. And I was with my friends. And I decided to tell um, my friend 
what to say when he went trick-or-treating, even though I had never gone trick-or-treating in my life, because I had heard it from another kid in class. Uh, Just warning you, today's message might be a little PG-13 for some of you who are sensitive, not because of this, but because of other things. But what I said to my friend was, trick-or-treat, smell my feet. If you don't, I don't care. I'll pull down your underwear, right? (laughs) That's what I said because I heard my friend say, I'm a third grader. Well, my mom found out that I had told my friend to say this, And my mom took me by the hand, a third grader, to the principal's office named Mrs. Leister. Mrs. Leister had all the charm that her name carries with it. Um, She smelled terrible, just being honest. Um, Like, terrible, terrible. And so my mom said, Jesse said this, and I felt shame and embarrassment, and Mrs. Leister said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And my mom said, he needs a paddle. And so Mrs. Leister pulled out the ping pong paddle, because you could do this in school back then, and gave me a couple swats, and I cried and cried and cried. And from that day forward, my life was changed. Like, I literally knew that this is like a defining moment for me. And, And I know that's a silly story, but like literally my entire life, up till then, and then even after, has been, what do people think of me? I have to be the good kid. I have to be the one that keeps the rules. And now everybody in my class knows that Mrs. Leister gave me a, a paddle. <laughs> like, and the, that's just the first of many stories. I have a vivid memory of my childhood. And so there's all these little stories that I could go back to where it pointed out my need for approval and how when I didn't get it or when I did something wrong and it was recognized my whole view of myself was shattered just gone like any self-worth any righteousness any connection to God was just gone like if I went to bed that night and I woke up and my parents were raptured I knew I was being left behind because I said that trick-or-treat poem like that that's where my mind went God did not love me why because I said this and I got a paddle in class Therefore, people could not love me or should not love me as well. My entire worth was wrapped around what I could do that looked righteous and good. Make sense? And that's a silly example from a, three, from a third grader, but it just got more and more detailed as I got older. Like my system for righteousness, my system for personal approval, public approval, and theological approval just got deeper and way more confusing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever lived in that place, but it's... it's terrible. I lived in that place for a long time. My, my connection with God was completely off because I, in that moment, was not a good rule keeper. We see this same mentality in the Jewish way of life um, up until this moment here in, in the text that we're going to look at today. How much, much of how God or man connected to God was like this. It was based on keeping these rules it was doing what looked right, what felt right publicly. Um, not only does it matter what you were uh, ethnically, you had to be a Jewish person to be recognized by God, but, but everything you did was a reflection of your connection to the Father. Everything was. Leviticus, I've actually in my personal time been walking through the book of Leviticus, and it's the first time I've really, really enjoyed it. How many of you guys have ever read the book of Leviticus? and thoroughly enjoyed it. His hands went down across the room. People were like, yeah, I've read Leviticus, and I hated it. <laughs> like, um, I was telling Pastor Jared in, in, in New York that I'm reading Leviticus right now, and he's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. I'm like, hey, 
It's there. It's the text. It's going to point to something. So, and I'm for the first time I'm reading, but Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like these are books written to the Jewish people so they understand, hey, you're a new people. You just came out of Egypt. Um, you need some rules to live by, and how do you relate to God? And so when you look through the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there are a lot of strange rules, isn't there? Like, there's, there's six of us who are like, yep, nope. Uh, there's a lot of strange rules in there. And like, what you see often is this term unclean. Like, the, if you do this, you don't do that, then you're unclean. Like, if, if, if a woman is menstruating, she's unclean until certain things are done. If a woman gives birth to a, a male son, she's unclean for this amount of period, this time. I think it's like 30-some days. That means she can't come to temple. She can't worship God. If she gives birth to a, a female, it's even longer. If a man, if a man, it says, cast his semen, right? I told you, this would be PG-13 today. If that happens, if a man has sex, he's unclean until certain things happen. There's all kinds of rules and regulations about cleanliness and righteousness and your connection, right, with God. And if you don't keep these things, there's this period of time where you're separated from him until you can make things right. Until you can offer the certain sacrifices, you got to go out and get some pigeons, you got to go out and get some doves, you got to go out and get a calf, you got to go out and do this, and you got to take it to the temple, it's got to be approved, and then they got to slaughter it, and then you got to do these, uh, you do wave offerings. I love this, the wave offering thing. Like, so you just take it, you don't actually do anything with it, you just kind of wave it before the Lord. Like, there's all these offerings to like reconnect with God and be right socially if you do these things. And so, like, there's this mindset that, like, I have to be like this to be connected here and to be of value in the community. Because if not, I'm outside of the community. Make sense? We track it. I want you to understand this before we get into today's passage. Turn it with me into Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, where we're going to look today. Luke chapter 1. This is the gospel of Luke. This is his account of the Jesus story. And in the first chapter, we see this in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I just think that's interesting right there. We're just going to stop right there. An angel shows up, says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, and she's troubled right away. Like, this is not your normal moment in the life of Mary so far. She's troubled, and she's trying to figure out, what does this mean? What's happening? And the angel of the Lord says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father David. And, will, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. First of all, I want, I want you to notice a couple things here. Mary gets this word. The angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, blessed are you. God's, you found favor in the eyes of God. And now you're going to be pregnant. And she stops and she's like, how? I'm a virgin. She simply asks, how? How is this possible? And, God, and the angel says, God's going to put the seed in you. And, and not only in you, which is crazy and impossible, but you know your cousin, Elizabeth, who is old and they call her barren because she can't have kids, right now she's pregnant, like, just so you know. And Mary's response to this information is, let it be according to your words. Let it be. Whatever, whatever you say, that's what it is. And the angel disappears. She's ultimately kind of left with this, like, no direction. Like, the angel doesn't give her, like, a how-to-raise-a-son-of-God pamphlet. Like, none of that. There's no class on raising deity. Like, there's, there's none of that at that moment. Like, we go through long training just to raise a human child. Like, we got to take... How many of you guys remember those classes? Te- the men are like, teaching. I don't remember how to do it, but there's, there's a pattern of how we got to breathe. All that went out the window. We have three kids. They're fine. They'll be all right. But like we take classes and seminars, and, and Mary just says, hey, this doesn't make sense. I'm a virgin. Like, and, and the angel says, yeah, the son of David's going to be in you through God, not through Joseph, your hu- betrothed, your engaged husband, who is from the line of David, not from that line of David, but from God, the line of David. I'm putting it in there. Believe this. She says, okay. And like that's the end of this narrative. The instruction manual is kind of gone. See, I want you to understand a few things. To you, somebody having a child outside of being married might not be a big deal. Our culture today, you don't even have to be dating anybody to be pregnant and have everybody throw you a big party and we celebrate. But to a Jewish girl who's engaged, betrothed to be married, she's legally bound to Joseph, right? Right? To be married then, to be engaged, you have three parts of a wedding, three parts of a marriage in that culture. You, first, you had the contract, the betrothal, the engagement. So what would happen was Joseph and his family would bring a price to her family saying, hey, we are going to marry into your, our families will come together. I'm going to marry Mary. Like, this will happen. Here's money for this. We sign the contract. That's, you're, you're, you're connected now. The families are connected. The next part of this wedding ceremony, of the wedding process, is the actual wedding day where you go through the ceremony. And then there's this part where you go together to consummate the marriage. We don't have that in our wedding festivities today, do we? Where we're like, hey, let's get together, do this thing. Okay, now go into this room over there. And whenever you're done consummating the marriage physically, come out and we're going to feast for seven days. Like that's how the weddings worked back then. And... And Mary, the angel says, hey, you're going to have a child, and it's not going to be through Joseph, right? Well, that's a big deal. Because all the law said, you know what the, you know what the reaction was? So the, the groom lost his bride place, price if the divorce happened, right? But they would actually put her on trial. If they thought she was unfaithful, they would put her on trial. And if witnesses said they found out that she was lying or that she had actually was, was pregnant prior to sexual intercourse with her husband, they could literally, Joseph could divorce her and they could take her and stone her and kill her. Like that's the reaction of what can happen to somebody who gets pregnant some other way other than your husband 
during marriage, right? And Mary's response to finding out she's pregnant not by her husband, but by God is, let it be according to your will. Let, let, let this happen. This is a big deal for, for Mary who has been righteous in that community, in the eyes of God. She's found favor with God, right? She's been, by all means, doing the right thing for the right length of time, going about it the right way. She's engaged to Joseph. There's a wedding day about to happen, and all of a sudden the angel says, hey, you're going to get pregnant, and it's not by the way that's traditional. And she says, okay. See, now, I mean, how quickly does gossip go around Scranton, right? And Scranton's got 70,000 people plus. Like, we all, like, you know a local when they know everybody. I mean, locals call me and just assume that I'm uh, connected or related to another Miller in this area. Oh, you're from that family. No, I'm not. I don't know who you're talking about. You don't know so-and-so? Well, they own that place, and they own that place, and their cousin's this person. You guys know what I'm talking about in this area. Like, we know everybody's business, and we're a big city. Mary's from Nazareth, and she's Jewish. This is a big scandal if she says, hey, guys, guess what? Um, This baby here, it's not from Joseph. It's from God. (laughs) Like, okay. How many of her friends and family believe that other than Elizabeth, whose baby leapt in the womb, right? Yep, this is, uh, our spirits are connected. God's, other than that, who's believing her? What, what do we see? I, I would love for you to look at Matthew, but we're not going to go there today. I'm going to tell you what Joseph's response is. In Matthew chapter 1, we see his side of the story, that it becomes public, that it becomes announced to him. He's aware that she's pregnant, and he seeks in his heart to divorce her quietly. So Joseph's in this place where, like, I don't want her to die. I'm not trying to kill her. I've already lost my money, so I'm just going to do this privately. C- can you imagine Joseph for a second? Like, trying to handle this like how many of you guys were engaged if your girlfriend came to you during your engagement period and you've already bought all the wedding stuff right you've already bought everything she said hey i love you wedding's still on an angel came to me and said god put the son of god the messiah inside of me and we're gonna have to wait on consummating the marriage for a little while you cool with that like sorry ash but if that was your story We'd have been done. Like, that's just, like, just kind of how it would have worked in my mind. So Joseph logically loves her, not trying to kill her, trying to figure out a way out of this thing. And the angel shows up in his dream and says, Joseph, this is from God. And it says the, the, the end of that text is that he did what the angel told him to do. He listened. Now Joseph is now in this place. He's taking Mary as his wife. They are both now to be social outcasts. Because all of Joseph's friends are like, she said what? And, and, and you believe that. I don't know if they had psychiatrists back then, but like, if I was Joseph's friend, I'd be like, hey, you need to go see Mordecai. He's, he's going to have to help you through this process. Like That would have been me. I would have been trying to figure out a way, because Joseph now is out of the righteous standing in the community. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's trying to be a good Jew. He's trying to stay right in the community and before God. And now his wife, his to-be wife, says, hey, I'm pregnant from heaven. And the only way he responds to this is because the angel shows up in a dream. I, I'm just curious, how many times did Joseph question if that was a real dream or not? Like, did I really dream that? Okay, yes, it was. It was an angel. It was an angel. This is reality. This is the truth. 
they made a major decision there where all of their social standings, all their righteousness before men just went out the window. They were now religious outcasts. I, I, I want you to understand this. This is not just a cute story that we have like a manger scene and we sing some songs about. Nobody was singing songs about their birth during this time. In fact, it was the opposite. They were trying, the family was trying to keep this a secret. Imagine going to that wedding. Because we see in the text that, that he went ahead, married her, and that they didn't consummate the marriage. He wasn't with her until after Jesus was born. So right there you have an awkward wedding celebration to them and their culture. Hey, you're engaged? Wait, she's pregnant from God? What? Okay, here's the wedding. Stomp on the thing. Do the whole shebang. Okay, so you're not going into the room. You're, you're not going to go into the room. What are you guys going to do right now? What, what are we supposed to do for seven days? I would guess this is probably one of the most awkward wedding feasts ever. Because they don't know what to do with this. This is socially unacceptable. This is cut off. You guys getting this, okay? This is, this is a big deal. She is a young girl from a small town. She's already at the bottom of the social ladder. The one thing that she does have going for her is her piety her righteousness among people and before God. And that very thing is taken from her as well. Her piety, her form of righteousness, her form of keeping the rules is just gone. It's out the door because she's obedient to what God's saying to do in this moment. See, everything she has kept to appear righteous, that stuff has no value now. We, we live in a culture where it's no longer an issue about marriage and, and, and pregnancy, but we still live in a culture where there's like a set of values and righteousness through what we do or don't do, right? Our worth, our social worth, it might be based on your view of politics. Like your, your sphere of friends on Facebook automatically changes because of the one post you had or because if how you voted, or, or what church you go to, or what church you don't go, or how you preach the gospel, or how you don't preach the gospel. All of a sudden, we, we live in this culture where even though marriage isn't held to the same standard anymore, there's still social standards and righteous standards that you and I all feel before God, don't we? We feel like if I do this, then God will love me more. Ben talked about this morning, our tithing, our approach to tithing. For my whole life, it's been we give because then God will actually approve on us. Well, no, we give because he has approved on us through the cross, and in obedience, I respond and give him my all. Like, this is, this is a response thing. But so much of my life was like, well, God, if I don't tithe, then all of a sudden my bank account's going to be like, I'm going to have some kind of crazy Russian hack into my bank account, and the Lord will send plagues into my life. Like, that's, that's the way my mind begin, began to spin when I live in that model of self-righteousness. God, in this situation, this story... Everything, everything to them was to look pure and to try to appease God and, and reflect God's righteousness. How he's holy, how he's set apart, how he's other than everything that we have, right? That's the, that's the Jewish way. That was the right way. And God comes in, he meets man, and he says, I'm doing something different and doing something new. I'm doing a new thing. He completely wrecked our standard of how we are righteous and connected to him through Christ. See, Scripture says that Christ came and gave us righteousness. He came and he gave us salvation that's completely unearned. Completely unearned. 
Is any, I mean, are you guys bored with the gospel story this morning? Because this, this should still wreck us. You can't keep any law to get righteous before God. And Mary and Joseph had to learn this in this moment. God's, God says, I'm doing something different here. This is, this is my son. He tells Joseph what we see in the Matthew account. He will be the Savior for all people. God's saying, I'm saving you through this act, not destroying you. He, the angel tells Mary, I'm giving an eternal kingdom here. The line of David's coming. The Messiah is coming. I'm not destroying you. I'm letting you be a part of the story by simply surrendering your ability to keep righteousness. God has completely wrecked our system. I've heard, so I heard a lot of people say when we talk about grace, when I preach on grace, when I preach on how Christ has come, messed up our way of earning favor, earning righteousness, having his love and approval. When I talk about that, I've had many people in their, in, in their best interest, I guess, come to me and suggest that I need to preach more on God's wrath or God's view of sin. And I would say, why? Because there's newer and better revelation of God, and that's called Jesus. Um, I'm going off my notes for a second. Is that all right? You guys still good? Um, recently, I heard, I think it was Chris Valentin has said, he's said this, that there are that, that there are many, that there are truths, right? But not every truth is equal. And by that, the, the destruction, the, the damage, the intensity of sin is still intense. So what God has declared about sin is still true. Like it has separated us, right? It is other than God. He is holy, he is righteous, right? That is still a reality. Sin is still dark and broken and wicked and devastating, so that's true. But the greater truth is that Christ came and conquered, defeated sin in our place. So as a pastor, I don't want to keep all of our t- attention on the sin. I want to take all of our attention and focus it on Christ who has destroyed sin. He became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. When Christ came, when, when, when God sent Jesus it changed the system of how we are righteous before man and before the Father. It changed the system completely. Heaven came down to address this. So I've heard people say, well, Jesse, if you preach grace, won't people be confused? Won't they think that you're saying, hey, here's grace, so go and sin all you want? I would say people get confused buying a coffee at McDonald's. They still need a label on it. It says, caution, it's hot. And grace is the mystery of the gospel. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense. So yes, people will be confused, but that's not my problem. My problem is pointing them to the mystery, the scandal of grace, that Christ came and changed the system. He changed it. And we keep wanting to go back to the old system. I can understand works. I can understand these laws. All these things make sense to me. So I do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. If this happens, then I follow up with this result. Like that makes sense to me. And we all keep going back to that system. And Christ says, I broke that. I fulfilled the law so that you didn't have to. You could never do it. I fulfilled it. Now you live in me. Is that all right this morning? Heaven came down and met our attempts to get to God. Now heaven has come to us. 
We could not get to God. Mary could not get to God. Joseph could not get to God. The religious leaders could not get to God on their own. The system has always been broken, but Moses wrote it, God gave it, so that we could see one day we need an ultimate fix. And that fix is Christ. That fix is the Messiah, who came in and changed the whole system. Many of us still approach God's plan of grace by faith in Christ with this same question. We don't ask, how will this be? Explain it to me. We simply ask, how? Because I don't believe this could ever be true. Mary did not have that approach at all, did she? Mary's response to the word was, how? Please help me understand your revelation, and I'll do whatever you ask. We see Elizabeth's husband, though, who is who's a religious leader. The angel says, hey, your wife is pregnant. And he's like, I don't believe this. <laughs> it's a completely different how. How's this going to be? Not going to happen. And the angel shuts his mouth until he can actually believe. Like so many people are living in this how, but it's the wrong how. It's not how God reveal how grace is transforming me and how it has brought me into your kingdom and that my sacrifices, my rule keeping could never do it. Reveal to me how this works, that I can be righteous and live a righteous life in response to the grace. So, some of us are there. That's when we get the gospel and we wrestle with it. But then there's so many others like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Let's stick to the rules. How about you just observe Mass on these certain days? How about you go to confession these days? Or how about you go to, you know, volunteer for this department in the church? Or how about you give to the Salvation Army? Or how about you give this amount in tithes? Or how about you wear this clothes or read out of that version of the Bible? There's, there's all these rules that churches make, right? You guys with me this morning? I don't know if, you, I mean, maybe it's just me who's tried to put all the rules together my whole life. And Jesus comes and said, it's not about that. I'm doing a new thing. Heaven has met earth. You don't have to take earth to heaven. Heaven has met earth. I'm doing a new thing. You can't control. You can't control grace. It's not how it works. We go back to the old system because it's something we can control. The religious leaders love the old system. Religious leaders today love the old system. Why? Because it gives them a sense of control. If I can tell my people, you have to do this, then I can control them. That's never been the heart of the Father, or that tree would not have existed in the garden. He's always been about, I want your hearts. I don't want the rules. I want your hearts. I want relationship. And so he sends Jesus so that we can have relationship and walk out of obedience in relationship, not in rule-keeping. Gifts are received, not earned. Jesus is the ultimate gift. I was standing, I went on Thanksgiving night with Ashley's family to Walmart. That was chaos. And I'm standing in the 25-minute line to look at DVDs, because that's the only thing I really care about at Walmart. And I'm standing there in line, and this family behind me is arguing, like this mom, who's probably like in her 50s, is arguing with her adult daughter about the true meaning of Christmas, and they shouldn't be so selfish, because the true meaning of Christmas, this is a quote, is that it's better to give than to receive. So you should stop caring about what you're getting for Christmas. Like, that is not the true meaning of Christmas. There was a part of me that wanted to turn around and preach, but I'm like, I got to stay focused. So <laughs> maybe I should have. Maybe I should have. <laughs> There's a line in front of me with DVDs. I'm getting through this madhouse without getting into a fight in Walmart on, on Thanksgiving night. See, the true meaning of Christmas, yeah, there's a gift, 
It has nothing to do with our ability to give and receive and our joyfulness and how we give gifts. It has everything to do with the gift that God has given us through salvation through his son. He sent us God in the flesh. The writer of the story jumps into the pages. He jumps into the pages himself to reveal his heart toward us. To let us, the written things, the spoken things, the created things, have connection with the creator. This is mind-blowing. This is not like me having relationship with Ben. This is me having relationship with the words that I write on my pages. It's, it's strange. It doesn't make sense. And so we try to figure out ways to explain it. It doesn't make sense. God has become God with us, Emmanuel. He's dwelt in the incarnation in Christ. He's come into our story and changed the rules on us. And we have the audacity to think that we can somehow earn our standing with God. It doesn't make sense anymore. Gifts are received, not earned. The question this morning with what do we do with Christmas, the question with what we do with our salvation in Christ is we have to ask ourselves, how do we use this new gift? Not what do we do to earn it? How do we use salvation? How do we use grace? Second Timothy Chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 says this, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You guys are already like tuned out. There was a lot of negative things in that verse, right? That was intense. But I want you to catch this having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I want to I make a, an observation. When we just simply do the righteous thing for the sake of appearing righteous before man, that puts us right here. We have the appearance of godliness, but we deny its power. What is the power of godliness? What, what is it? Well, Timothy is the student of Paul. Here's some things that Paul wrote. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. The power, the power that Timothy is talking about here is the gospel of Jesus, that you are saved not by your works, but by receiving grace. So you can't just have the appearance of godliness. You have to actually receive the power of your godliness. The power of your, God, of your godliness, of your righteousness, is Christ and his gift. He also says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power that we should not deny. The cross is the thing that we cling to in this season. Paul also says this, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men are we, we've proved among you for your sake. The gospel has come in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is the power of God to us. And those of us who receive it, it makes sense. It's new life. Those of us who don't understand it, it's confusing in death. So that's why people can come to me and say, Jesse, you're preaching grace too much. We should probably stick to some better rules. Or we should probably preach on sin a little bit longer. And I would say, you're, why? So we have the appearance of godliness, but deny the very source of it? You guys okay with me this morning? Christ said that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Because we could not do it on our own. 
Don't mishear me this morning. God still has plans for a righteous living. He still does. He still values sex as part of the marriage covenant. Absolutely. He still calls us to acts of worship, to tithing, to being a part of the church, to serving in the local body, to loving our brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Those are still a part of this thing. But our righteousness is in him. And it's from this place that we love and we serve him. It changes the system. See, I once, I once lived for approval, for approval in this religious system that I was in. I lived there. It was legalism. Do this thing, then God will love me. But see, I found out what Christmas actually means. Heaven has wrecked my religion and given me righteousness in Christ. I don't, I don't have to get to heaven. Heaven has come to me. In, in my brokenness, in my inability to keep the rules, as hard as I tried, I was pretty good at it. I was the teacher's pet. I was the top kid in my Sunday school classes. I was pretty good. But you know what my rule keeping got me? Public approval. Got me that. You know what it didn't get me? Feeling any more closer or loved by the Father. I never felt that. I never felt that as a child, as a teen, early teenager. And it wasn't until my youth pastor preached the true gospel of Jesus, grace by faith alone in Christ alone, that I, worship songs came alive and I could put my hands up and feel like the Father actually embraced me, came and met me. In all my ability to keep the rules, I could never feel that. But in my ability to surrender my ability, does that make sense? To lay myself down and just receive his gift receive heaven coming in a way that didn't make any sense, coming and invading my life, then all of a sudden I felt for the first time the gift of salvation. I want you to understand through the story of Mary and Joseph that it came and it wrecked their system. And this morning, I, I really believe that heaven wants to come and wreck many of our systems as well. Heaven wants to wreck the way you connect with the Father. If you've been, this is dangerous for a pastor to say in a church that needs more volunteers. (laughs) If you've been earning your place in the church by volunteering and you haven't connected with the Father in a real meaningful way, either in worship or understanding the gospel or reading your scripture, stop trying. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything here to earn God's love. And maybe you do need a break to actually feel his love. I want more volunteers, but maybe you need a break. (laughs) Do Do you hear my heart this morning? Your pastor is saying, stop trying to serve God. Let him serve you first. Let him serve you. And when you, when you, when you let him serve you, the only reaction that I've ever felt to him serving me was a complete surrender. God, I serve you. Mary says, I don't understand this. How will this be? But let it be according to your word. Let it be. I'll take the ridicule. I'll take the public embarrassment. I'll I'll take, I mean, Herod seeks to kill Jesus, and so they have to flee. They have to flee. Jesus is born in a manger. Joseph is from the line of David. I don't know if you know the significance of that. It's King David. 
not just some dude named David. And King David is like the king of Israel, David. Like, like the one that you all inspire to. Like Abraham Lincoln is, but except holy-er. Right? And Joseph's from that line. And they're living like vagabonds. They're living as outcasts because God says, I'm wrecking your system. I'm wrecking your system. Your approval ratings, all that. Your, your Facebook likes, they're just gone now. You don't have any of that anymore. Like all, all your social standing is gone. Just receive what I'm doing for you. I'm making a new system. Can we worship together this morning? Let's worship. Let's worship.